Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. I'm all vaccinated. I wear masks even now because you never know. You know, they don't know everything about this disease. So <laughs> I think popcorn might be a carrier. <laughs> Actually, I think you're right. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the podcast that keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. And hello to my favorite producer, Lou Katz. Hello, Arch. Always great to be back with you with our newly rebranded podcast now. Yeah, we, we've branded, we've rebranded this so many times, there's hardly any room left, or booted <laughs> it at least. Exactly. But we're happy to be here. And as you know, Lou, I am very excited about today's guest. First, a longtime friend, an LA-based entertainment writer whose credits include several years with People Magazine. He's a DC native who learned to love movies from his father, the legendary Channel 9 movie critic, Davey Marlon Jones. Let's say hello to Oliver Jones. Yeah. Hello, Oliver. Hey, Arch. Hey. I, Oliver, I not only uh, learned to love movies, Arch, but I also learned to hate you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I know why you hate me too. Yes. Because you were in line for the Empire Strikes Back and I interviewed you and put you on television asking you how you got the ticket and you said, oh, from my father. Who's your father? <laughs> Davy Marlon Jones. And I put it on Channel 4. God, thank, God. Oops. thank you for forgiving me for that. And also with us today is someone I have hoped to speak with for many years. He's the nationally known host on the Turner Classic Movie Channel. He is a D.C. native, son of the beloved political broadcast and public relations legend Frank Mankiewicz, grandson of Golden Age screenwriter Herman Mankiewicz, the writer and Oscar winner for Citizen Kane, Someone I've admired for many years. Let's say hello to Ben Mankiewicz. Hi, Ben. Uh, wow, hello. I, I got to tell you, to be uh, to be uh, growing up in uh, D.C. in the 70s and 80s and to be on uh, uh, not only with Arch, but with uh, Davey Marlon Jones. I mean, it is literally I've done a lot of things. And I, when, I, when I text my friends about what today was like, they're going to be like, wait, what's that? Now you've made it. Now you've, uh, you've met, you know, Arch, we actually worked together. You would have no memory. We didn't really, but I was really? an intern at the George Michael Sports Machine was my first television job. Yeah, George kept of, his of interns, really. He kept yeah. them back locked in. I, I've met people who interned for him <laughs> that yeah, I never sure. saw. Yeah, You yeah, may know I, uh, that I was friends with your brother, Josh, and that in the yeah. early days of the 80s, uh, we had a mutual friend, Larry Shaneman. And after yeah, the Larry. 11 o'clock news, I would meet Josh for beer and hamburgers until uh, the wee hours of the morning. Something Probably at Chadwick's. It was at Timberlake's. Oh, yeah, Timberlake's, yes. Totally, yeah. Long gone now. So, uh, Ben and Oliver, we like to start this podcast by asking our guests, what are you watching? What do you really like now just for fun? What are you watching for fun, Ben? Well, uh, you know, if you grow up in D.C., you, you love to make fun of the uh, that accent there in uh, yeah. Delaware and Philly. So I, I love I love some mayor of Easttown. You know, you, yeah. you know, you take Rochester Town Road on down to Asian. 
hot. Like that was to me. That, uh, we've been making fun of that. It's America's worst accent. I love it. So, um, uh, and uh, uh, so I thought, and Kate Winslet. I mean, it, uh, I, I can I can make an argument. There's no better actor alive. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then Gene Smart too. And then I'm also oh. we were we're watching this uh, the other Gene Smart show Hacks also both HBO right. Max shows and my goodness Gene Smart I mean seeing Gene Smart and Kate yeah. Winslet together I mean it's like they're putting on a little they're putting on a clinic for us so uh, right uh, I, I love that show and then uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm trying to stay um, interested in uh, in The Handmaid's Tale but I'm struggling <laughs> <laughs> Oliver what what are you watching. Well, you know, I um, first of all, I feel deeply betrayed, Ben, that you've mentioned TV shows. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's what we watch for fun. I, yeah, I guess, yeah, right. I guess right. But I, I still feel betrayed. I still feel it in my heart. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't help it. Um, so, uh, but I, I also, uh, the, the family, the uh, mayor of Easttown was a complete family watch and a great family conversation. My daughter is... Um, uh, 14 and this week she's graduating yeah. from eighth grade and heading into uh, a performing arts high school in uh, in Los Angeles, much to the shock of everyone in the family. And of course, much to the pleasure of her of her dear departed grandfather. But uh, it was fun to watch that and see those different actors, all of them, not just the master actors in the center uh, of that show. Uh, and it was and it was fun to talk about the issues of that show with my family. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I just watched a movie that's opening up at the um, uh, Music House here in LA on Friday uh, called The Summer of 85. Uh, Francois Ozun kind of, um, uh, it's sort of a, a LBGT coming of age kind of with a little bit of Patricia Highsmith noir sort of blended into it. And uh, it was pretty good. It, it, was a, it was a different kind of summer movie. I'm interested to see it uh, for no other summer of 85. You know, I graduated from, uh, from uh, from high school in, uh, in in June of '85. That was my last summer fully fully in Washington. Really. Where did you uh, go so to high school? Uh, ben? I went to Georgetown Day School, the GDS. Yeah. Then on then on MacArthur Boulevard. Now somewhere else. We're going through the same thing at my house. We're going through great withdrawal after Mayor of Easttown, and in fact, we uh, watched it over again. And I oh, yeah. especially liked the old school delivery where you had to wait a week at a time yeah and and yep. you know that kind of of uh of uh newsreel thing where the the cliffhanger is there and then they solve it and they go on to the next thing i was also impressed with juliet nicholson she has always had my attention yeah. since you're both in la and we are both talking about a series on television. What's the feeling out there about the change in entertainment from theatrical to uh, to streaming? In general, the feeling about the future is uh, terror, and, uh -huh. and 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 I and I think that's real. Not so much. I'm not talking just about theaters. I figure we'll we'll they'll figure that out. You know. You've seen, I've had to fly a couple of times now back to Atlanta where we shoot TCM after not flying for 15 months, nearly 15 months. And, you know, people want to travel. They want to go to airports. I mean, I, you know, I mean, Atlanta at times there's, you go, I was, I went to a restaurant and I mean, look, I was there too. So I, I can't blame just the other people, but, but like I went in and it was stunning. I mean, there's everybody's next to each other. There's no masks. Like the, the eagerness to, and it was packed, the eagerness to get past the pandemic is real. So I think people will go back to theater. 
that said, clearly some will close. There's no question. We can't sustain, I suspect, all of these theaters. But just in general, the the drift away from from our perspective from cable television. I mean, the streaming is replacing cable and it's replacing theaters. So there is an entirely new business model and there's going to be there's seven or eight big streamers the consensus i'm no business expert the consensus seems to be that we cannot sustain that many and that there will be a fight there'll be a consolidation we've seen some of that already that there'll be a big fight to be one of the four you know disney apple netflix hbo max you know but then what a prime maybe there'll be five uh, you know uh, hulu where do they who do they merge with? What so I and I don't know. I'm an idiot, but but I know that what was sort of talk about oh streaming is going to be an interesting future three years ago is now like if yeah. we don't have a handle on it that we're going to see some real known entities vanish. Oliver, what's your well, thought? What what's it like there? We just started this conversation talking about we all watched <laughs> it Sunday night. Uh, we that rare thing where we all as a sort of nation kind of share a cultural moment which is what the movies were built for, right? So, um, and, and when we have those moments in movies now, they're all around spectacle films, Marvel films, and things like that, you know? And of course, it's been a while since we've had one of those moments where we've all talked about, or even just shared the feeling of being in a room with all of those people. And of course, we all lust for that feeling, you know? We all, I mean, yep. it's some of those greatest moments of our lives have been that feeling, you know, that, um, that feeling of awkwardness when you look to the stranger to the left. Or, um, my gosh, uh, um, Arch, you are the most expressive person to ever go see a movie with. You laugh at all the I think you are not a critic who has a poker face uh, in any capacity. You let it all hang out, which is just wonderful. And it's something, you know, I wonder sometimes if in defending it and worrying about it, you know, whether or not you know, critics uh, are like Knights of the Templar or just like some, <laughs> you know, kind of like explaining how great some antiquated uh, piece of machinery is, you know, uh, as we hand crank our own butter or whatever. Uh, but um, I, uh, it, it's hard to say. I, I think that one thing that I have been struck with in this past year, is, you know, when we've been robbed of this shared experience is that access you know, whether you're someone for financial reasons or for physical limitations or for whatever reason can't get to things. This has been an unprecedented year for access, right? For so many people have been able right. to go to yeah. festival, have been able to see premieres of movies, have been able to do things that they've never been able to do before. Uh, and, and I think that's been a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I, I think, so I think that this experience that we've had I hope it's not an either or type of situation that we're that that now we're facing a world where streaming replaces uh, um, theatrical viewing. What is your best guess, both of you? What is the niche for movies now? I mean, when I was first uh, coming along, uh, movies were the cool thing you could see where you could see and watch subjects and things that you couldn't see on TV. What's the niche now? The big tentpole movies, they're not going anywhere. They'll have big theatrical openings. I don't know how they're going to all handle it. I mean, I don't suspect Warner Brothers and HBO Max is going to continue post-pandemic, whatever that looks like, to continue to release those movies simultaneously for streaming. But I don't know. Um, and so I, we'll see the big movies, right? I mean, the Marvel Universe is getting bigger, and it's still going to be anchored by the big movies, right, in addition to all these series. 
and then we'll get, I guess, access to a lot of cheap movies. I don't cheap sounds wrong. Uh, inexpensive, low budget indies. films, many of which are great. Right, we'll get we'll get what we used to call indies. I don't know whether they're still technically independent, but yes, we'll get million dollar movies. Basically, <laughs> what we're really what what was already happening before pandemic was the end of the the you know I used to get explained to me by all these people in town who I now know. I still amazingly don't know anything about this business. I really don't. But the fifteen to twenty million dollar movie, the movie like for grownups, like, like uh, Angelina Jolie's movie that was on, I guess it was on Prime. Where she's a firefighter who jumps out of airplanes, mm. and and I, I I didn't I didn't hate it because I liked it because it seemed like the kind of movie came out in 1997, right? right. You know, and I, <laughs> I, I like this movie. Like, right. There's a, a bad guy, and he you know, a good actor John uh, John Bertall was not the bad guy, but he was in it. Uh, the mayor from The Wire and from Game of Thrones was the bad guy, and I don't know. I liked it. I was like, I like this kind of movie, but we're not going to get a lot of that. Uh, and maybe those are only going to be on streaming. It's just hard to see how we're going to get the budget for that stuff. But I, I don't know. So I, that's the thing. It, it, and I, and I, and I'm sure for you guys and for me too, the idea that that would takes up seemingly a hundred percent, but is probably seventy five percent of the average of the energy of the creative energy of this uh, community of filmmakers out here is uh, movies that are all very similar and seem aimed at a very specific. Uh, superhero addicted audience that that feels unfortunate and that feels yeah. like a loss you know on the other hand ben i imagine the quarantine was really good for turner classic movies yeah it was uh, in the sense that we we knew we look man you know there are a lot of channels on tv we've talked about some of them you know mm. uh, there are shows that are on showtime that i love and there are shows on amc right that i love you know breaking bad better call Saul is doesn't get storytelling right. doesn't really get better than those shows uh madman but no one on has ever said oh my god i love amc no one has ever said i love showtime right it doesn't happen no one ever goes i'll watch anything on abc i'm an abc guy all the way right it's a crazy insane conversation tcm matters yeah Same. Yeah. i watch tcm i don't watch i mean the number of people who come to me and say i watch only msnbc and tcm or only cnn and tcm mm -hmm. or even fox news or just TCM. Like science, it's like I can't watch news. I only watch TCM. That's the only reason I have cable. So uh, and clearly we connected with with people over uh, over this time when people are, are quarantined at home. And these movies, you know, they matter to people and they, yeah. they connect us to our past. Right. I mean, that's not that's what it is. I mean, you asked me what I watched for fun at the beginning and what I watched last night again for the 13th time for me, because it's the greatest war movie ever made uh, later today i'm interviewing ed asner and his son matt for what's mm. going to air on father's day and <laughs> they're they're bringing us paths of glory a great father's day movie uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know uh, that movie you know like all these films you know there's 1957 has these amazing movies anyway just that's a whole other point but the the nostalgia is uh you know that's emotional man that connecting us to our parents to our grandparents to our own past it's not just a it's not an old poster of a Doris Day movie you love or a pennant from the old Washington senators on your wall, right? And nostalgia is a legit, powerful emotion. And we try very hard with the curation that we do to connect these movies to their Hollywood history, to their cultural history. And that connects it to personal histories of people. And it, it just matters. And, and it, yeah, and I, I noticed that, that every day. So I, I love it. I love, I, love I noticed you're starting to bring films in from the 70s and even the early 80s now. 
which is longer ago than we want to think, but it's not just films from the 30s, 40s. Well, I just no, recently I, watched yeah, um, right. Nebraska, uh, Alexander Payne's Nebraska uh, during your, uh, which is a movie I, I hadn't saw. And I'm, I'm taking care of my mother these days. So that one hit really kind of close to home too. I think the important thing, you know, that you hit on there, Ben, is that it's not just right nostalgia. It's that other, it's that C word that you mentioned, curation. And I think that's sort of the important point that we're at right now. That when you watch it, when you watch a movie on Turner Classic Movies or or on the Criterion Channel for that matter, you know you're not just watching a movie. You're sharing in someone's insights and love, and and you know it's it's not just the document itself, right? It's also the eyes that have viewed and picked and and obsessed over them. And I think that's kind of the, you know, to answer your question, Arch. I think that's our tunnel out of this darkness, right? Is is connecting with those. Uh, those lovers and those and the, and the people that have those insights and also bring fresh insights to this because that's what keeps these movies mattering, right? Is that they're not they're not just in a sealed in amber like the mosquito from Jurassic Park that they actually their meanings change and advance, uh, you know, as we change in advance and as our, and, and uh, as ours values change, we can see them reflected in a movie, say like um, the Night of the Hunter. Uh, you know, in a in a way that uh, that movie plays different, you know, in the age before Trump than it did after, right? These these things these things uh, evolve in a way that makes them matter. But I think that you know, it the the style of studios have been to either ignore the critics they don't like or use them as as part of their publicity shills. But but really, curation needs to be part of this conversation. The, the fact that, for example, Leonard Malton, uh, who has a book coming out, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't have a curation channel on the Disney channel when he's, when he's done that on TCM for all those years and was masterful at it, you know, I think is a great, is a huge loss. And I think that these bigger streamers need to learn from, uh, from TCM and from Criterion channels that these passionate film lovers, these film critics uh, really matter and should be part of this equation. Yeah, I want to jump in here and kind of defend Ben and by saying first how much I love Mank, the story of your grandfather. And when I watched Mank, and I think it was on, uh, what was it on, Netflix? Netflix, yeah. After I watched it, I downloaded Citizen Kane. And I imagine that I'm one of many and streaming made that possible. We're striving. I think that the desire for community is so acute, so real, right? This, this need to bond, to connect with other people in a meaningful way. And for TCM fans, there's always been this community and we do it at the festivals and the, and our cruises where you realize, Oh my God, I'm not the only one who yeah. likes the, I'm not the weird guy at the office who likes the black and white movies. <laughs> the big that the curation that Oliver was talking about that we arch that you like so much is uh, again it fosters this sense that we're in this together and that is one of the things that social media has has done well and has, has made this a better place there are uh, infinite examples of how social media has made this world a much worse place Ben I have always enjoyed your work on Turner Classics and I I sensed early on that you kind of downplayed your your genealogy. Your uncle was a great filmmaker, Joseph yep. Mankiewicz. Your uh, grandfather wrote Citizen Kane. 
And uh, was that a, a, a conscious uh, move on your part? You know, the weird human condition where we respond to criticism so much more strongly than praise, right? I, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, you could get a, 175 comments on Twitter that say how great a job you're doing, how funny it was and engaging. And then one person says you only got this job because of your family. And I think about it for two weeks. Oh. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Or Twitter, the early comments, you know, they didn't like me when I started it. Some people in the message boards didn't like me. I mean, really about 12 people and many, it's television. Of course, you know, it's totally subjective. Mm -hmm. There are, there yeah. are totally successful broadcasters who I think aren't great, terrible. And, and <laughs> America, a lot of they're loved, right? So, uh, so I get it. I, I get them. So, but I, I was, you know, I wanted to, it helped me get the job. No, look, my last name's not, I'm not Ben Spielberg. Right. Like it's not it doesn't the name Mank. You got to be fairly deep into classic movies to to know that the name Mankiewicz matters in classic Hollywood. So I, I was uh, and I wanted to, you know, I, I'm, I'm hosting with Robert Osborne. Right. I'm hosting this. Mm -hmm. And he is the definitive. He is the Walter Cronkite and the Edward R. Murrow of Turner Classic Movies. And you want to find your own voice. And I don't want that voice to be relying on. So I would mention it. I don't think I ever, sometimes I might've said, you know, and directed by Joe Mankiewicz, I would almost always say my yeah. great, you know, eventually after 18 years, they've, they've, they got used to me. And um, so, uh, so I, I don't know whether I leaned in more. The fact is all of a sudden this last couple of years, book about my grandfather and my uncle, there's another book written by my cousin called Competing with Idiots that's out this summer about her, the relationship <laughs> between Herman and Joe, the Mank movie. All of a sudden, there was this interest in what it's like to be a Mankiewicz, and I, you yeah. know, it seemed crazy not to lean into that. I, I want to tell it. you a story okay. that uh, I have. The reason I, one of the main reasons I want to meet you, Ben, is I want to share a story with you that I think Jason Fraley shared with you. So I'll mm -hmm. tell it as quick as I can. I think it was in 1992. Your father, Frank, who worked for Helen Knowlton at the time, was hired by Oliver Stone to promote JFK by lobbying the Congress to release some of the assassination files of the Stokes Committee. And as part of that, do you remember, remember this event? I was not at the event, but it's, it, it, it is relevant to why I went to the vet today. Your father hosted an opinion leaders dinner and somehow I was invited. And so there were about 12 of us there and we each shared a table with Oliver Stone and during the night, I needed to go up to the, to, to excuse myself. And your stepmother was standing in a room. She says, hey, Arch, have you ever held an Oscar? And I said, well, no, I haven't. She says, well, here, this is the one Frank's father won for writing the script of Citizen Kane. <laughs> and first of all, I have dined out on that story for years. And then I came to understand that it was kind of a hot potato because uh, your father was afraid to bring it out in public because it was worth so much. And uh, ultimately, the family uh, sold it. First of all, did you and your brother like play with it when you were so, growing up? <laughs> well, so I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. First of all, and I'll, I'll connect it. The, there's another story related to that, which is what I, well, which is that one. It's good. So I'll be telling you about the Oscar. So the Oscar, of course, stayed with my uh, uh, grandmother, uh, Herman Mankiewicz's uh, yeah. uh, wife, Sarah, Sarah. Oma, uh, until she died in 1985. And then I guess 
my father inherited it. His brother, Don, inherited the uh, sled uh, that was- uh, Rosebud. Rosebud. Uh, it was not actually used in the production, but it was a uh, replica uh -huh. given yeah. to Herman at the rap party by Ben Heck, the great uh, Hollywood writer. Yeah. So it's still wow. And so my, yes, it's all true. My dad, he had it at the house when he, then I didn't really see it. I don't recall seeing it until he, my parents split up and he got his apartment with Patricia O'Brien. You mentioned my stepmother's who's uh, uh, wonderful. And so it was, I remember how heavy it was. Uh, we certainly didn't, didn't play with it, but you know, my dad was such a big deal in DC politics. Yeah. It didn't really occur to me until it, very late in life or, or, or it, certainly as a uh, turning into my twenties that this other Hollywood part of the family <laughs> mattered. Like I was like, yeah, I, I guess his father wrote him. Like it just didn't, my dad was the smartest <laughs> person who ever lived. Dad, yeah, he didn't want to bring it out. And then because another member of the family needed some money, even though dad had it, mm -hmm. he sold it and gave a cut to his uh, relative. Then. And let me jump in here and say yeah. it is perfectly all right for him to have done that. Any Oscar won before 1950, you are free to uh, auction off or do what you want to with it. So it, yeah. he was perfectly within his rights. And, and let me just also say my dad was wonderfully unsentimental about things. So to him, it was like, uh -huh. well, Herman got the Oscar, and if they're going to give us, I think they got a good amount of money for it. And, and Herman would have thought, are you insane? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, uh, you know, he's like, Oscar at the track. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. Herman definitely would have lost it at the track, and and there's and unquestionably, and if he hadn't lost it, he would have forgotten and just left it at the track. That was the other, that was the other possibility for. Uh, One time I talked to your father about it, and he seemed to think that Steven Spielberg wound up with it. That's not quite right. So Spielberg, the, earlier they sold Herman's annotated script to Citizen mm. Kane. That was co-owned by my uncle, Don, a screenwriter, Oscar nominated for I Want to Live. A bunch of other Mankiewicz's screenwriters, John Mankiewicz, one of my cousin, Tom Mankiewicz wrote, I think, three official and five Bond movies, Superman one and two. So uh, created the TV show Heart to Heart. So uh, that was purchased at a really shockingly high price uh, at the time by Spielberg. And the hope was, my father thought, the great thing will be we'll do the Oscar and Spielberg will buy that too. And then he'll just put it somewhere. Like he, you know, he'll, he'll display it yeah, for people yeah. to see at his office or something like that. But we actually don't know who bought, uh, who uh, bought that, bought that Oscar for sure. If I could just say, I've always been grateful, Ben, that you are a Mankiewicz because, um, when I, among the many, um, sweaty and starving, uh, film, uh, writers in the late 1990s in LA who, uh, walked into a room and auditioned for that job and didn't get it. I could always, uh, I could always blame the fact that you were a Mankiewicz and not because you were really at the job and uh, and that I, I needed some. Uh, so thank you. For that. Uh, One of the finalists. Now, for that now, you'll be uh, you'll be uh, pleased to know. One of the other finalists for that job was the "Can You Hear Me Now" guy from Horizon. Oh. <laughs> yeah. How can I compete with you two? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but, uh, my own, uh, my father, of course, was obsessed with, um, Citizen Kane so much so that for my brother's 10th birthday, um, my, my mom worked at the DC public library, the Martin Luther King branch. She brought home a projector 
and um, and we projected on a screen for my brother's tenth birthday at a Citizen Kane. <laughs> Because nothing plays like at a ten great at a ten, ten year old's birthday party. I was six at the time, and the story goes, and I can't really confirm this because my dad's been dead for a while now. That somewhere as a six year old in the middle of the movie, I whispered to my dad, "It's the sled." Uh, which, which I, I, I don't. I've watched the movie many times, and there's no real hints, right? So I think he must have been making up that story to make me seem like a wonderful sort of genius kid or whatever <laughs> uh, there is one lingering shot on the sled but why uh -huh. would you the window find that the sled yeah. had a name right that's yeah right. but uh i like it i just i would just accept it as gospel why would your father apply for cry out loud he was davy marlin jones yeah. whatever. <laughs> well, so now uh, ben, this you and i share something which is we interviewed your father before a screening of citizen kane and uh, how was that for you? Uh, interview him. I, 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 it's funny. I'm, again, I'm, I'm shooting something to, today, which by the time people hear this, will have probably already happened for Father's Day with Ed Asner and his and his son, which will be a thrill because who doesn't love Ed Asner? Right. Um, yeah. And I mean that fully sincerely. And uh, yeah. Uh, but I interviewed my dad also for a Father's Day uh, uh, event at TCM. We did uh, a, a day of movies on Father's Day, and I think 2000. 13 or 14 and uh it was as meaningful a, a, a thing as i've ever done um it was great yeah. and I, on the tcm cruise we had him as a guest uh in 2013 it was amazing it was just amazing to, to try separate yourself and actually you know it was hard not to you know you don't want to be too inside baseball you you got to ask questions you know the answer to because you, you're trying to engage the audience but it was a thrill to to do it and uh yeah i was really close to my dad and uh I miss him. There's not a, I thought about him this morning. Uh, uh, you know, just there were anytime something interesting happens, sports, politics, mm -hmm. Hollywood, I want to talk to him about it. It's amazing the things to me he didn't mention about Hollywood, about growing up in, in Hollywood. At one point, uh, he, I was at his house in DC at the apartment with Patricia and, and he, and I'm doing scripts. I'm working on scripts and he goes, Oh, what movies do you have coming up? And I'm like, I don't know, dad, 80 of them. I'm working on 80 scripts, man. You know? And I go, well, what are you working on now? I go giant. He goes, Oh yeah. I, I uh, uh, I knew, uh, I knew Mercedes McCambridge and I go, well, it's, uh, you know, it's Mercedes. And, you know, <laughs> I mispronouncing words. And I, he goes, I, know it's Mercedes. I go, no, it's Mercedes. First of all, why would somebody name Mercedes? Mercedes are uh -huh. an idiot. And, uh, and then, uh, and, and I go, Robert Osborne says Mercedes is Mercedes. And he goes, well, and by this time it was 2000, like 12 or 13. So I'd been at TCM more than t about 10 years. And he yeah. goes, well, I always called her Mercedes. And I'm like, what? He goes, oh, well, we date for a while. And I'm like, <laughs> I go, I've been at TCM a decade. It didn't occur. He goes, well, it, well, we went out five or six times. We had a great time. Had <laughs> <laughs> Mercedes. And then I look up, of course, online on YouTube, and there's Ray Milan announcing her as an Oscar nominee or Oscar winner for, for, uh, for uh, uh, All the King's Man, I think. And she, um, uh, and of course, he says, you know, and, uh, and the winner is Mercedes McCambridge. May I have the envelope, please? The winner is... Mercedes McCambridge. He's always right. He was always right. I just when I introduced him at the museum before a screening, and all I remember is how proud he was of the movie. And he wanted to be sure that I stayed to watch the movie. And of course I did. And afterwards he came over to me. He says, It's really good, isn't it? This is really good. I said, Yeah, it is. He was uh he loved uh yeah, I mean he he was very proud of his, his father. I mean he 
saw and if you watched Mank, he definitely lost out. He lost some time with his dad, not just after he died. Herman died uh, young, a result of you know essentially drinking himself to death, but also the nights of coming home drunk. He was never a mean drunk, but he was drunk and he'd pass out, right? And so there were nights lost where he, and he misses that. But but his admiration for his father when my when my dad got out of service in World War II, you know they couldn't get the boys home quickly. They couldn't fly them home, so they had to wait for ships. So guys spent sometimes a year still in Europe, in Germany. My father was running the radio station at the base in Bremen, Germany. You could, you could get home quicker if you resigned your commission in the army, which they'd let you do on one condition if you joined the Merchant Marine. So my dad joined the Merchant Marine, got on a ship, worked the ship, worked in either the, the PX or the, you know, uh, the commissary, I can't remember which. And then once you arrived in New York, you could just resign from the Merchant Marine and then you were home, right? And that was the... Uh, so he got home a little early, he spent about four months after the war in Germany, and he notified his family that he was coming in on this ship, and then he would fly to Los Angeles, where the, he lived, fly back to his home. But when he arrived, when that Merchant Marine ship came in, there was a tugboat coming out to meet it, and in the tugboat, waving his cap, wearing a heavy coat, was his father. Came across I'll be the darn. Welcome, to welcome yeah. him home, which, you know, I, I always, I think, man, that's a, yeah. that's a good dad. That's a good That's a, yeah. a great Father's Day story. And speaking of fathers, back to you, Oliver, your father, Davy Marlin Jones. Uh, I, I don't know if I can properly express the impact he had on movies in Washington in the 70s and 80s. And he also had the greatest bit on local television where he would go out without any film or video, and bring three-by-five cards, read the title of a film he had seen, and either throw the card over his shoulder or rip a corner off or keep the entire card. And uh, where did that bet come from, and how did they let him do it? He also, you know, he put it in his hat. You know, he ate it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. he, he would do magic tricks. another hand. Uh, you know, my, my dad became a professional magician when he was 13 years old. Uh, he was the only person in the town of Winchester, Indiana, to own a tuxedo. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and so he was a, he was a professional magician. Uh, it was, he wrote his first book about magic, comedy tricks and gags by, with Davy Jones, the world's wackiest wizard. Uh, <laughs> uh years old. So I think um, the the magic and the theatrical side of it was just uh, part of it. But part of it, Arch, is that he had a real, um, he disliked the star system, right? Uh, he didn't like ranking. He didn't like the thumbs up, thumbs down. He had this aversion to like ranking art. So so the bit with the cards where he would rip off a corner and he's like, oh, I'm I'm keeping uh, Michael Douglas's performance, but the movie, you know, throw away the rest of the movie, you know, was his way of participating in that. The average Joe comes up to you and he says, I know what I like, so why do I need a critic? And the answer is he probably doesn't. But if a critic's really doing his job, I guess he shows you that there is a whole rich world out there that you can enjoy more, or maybe explains to you why you're not having a good time. And hopefully it helps, and hopefully you have a better time. And did you uh, follow Davy's reviews? Was, was he the guy who gave you advice? Uh, you know, he is yes and no. It was actually <laughs> more, 
than than, than Davy. But I, what I was thinking about Davy's heyday to me, I wasn't paying enough attention to local news. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I worked not only did I work for George Michael, uh, the sports machine, but the next summer I worked for Glenn Brenner. Oh my! Oh God. yeah, God. And and, and DC had, um, I mean, were characters, man, of which Arch, you're such a big part, and. You know, look, uh, I, I don't know. I hope none of you guys is like a great big defender of local news now, but that's where I started. I mean, I, I was a reporter and then an anchor in, in Charleston, South Carolina, and then I worked in Miami at a different kind of station. But still, I, I didn't, it's terrible now. And and part of yeah. it is sameness of it and the, it bleeds, it leads, all that stuff, which was coming and changing. But the, I mean, there is just a vanilla nature to it now yeah. and the characters these davy marlin joneses these arch campbells these glenn brenners these true i would say broadcasting geniuses i mean i remember one day there was a snowstorm and watching channel nine and so it's you know it's like maureen bunyan and 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 gordon peterson there on the set and doug hill is getting ready to do the weather and he's on the set at the top because it's you know it's going to snow an inch and a half so dc is shutting down you know and there's and there's glenn brenner behind doug uh, giving him a massage. All you see is like <laughs> off screen. And then occasionally he's giving him, he's rubbing his shoulders and he leans down. He's like, oh. you could, we're all counting on you. Big day. It's so great. It's so great. That's, and as soon as you told the story about, about ripping off the corners, I was like, yeah, right. That's what was going on there. That sort of creative, right. independent thinking. And I, uh, we, I, I miss that uh, from from guys like Davey and and Glenn and 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 from, and from you, Arch. It was just you were a character, man. It was you were Arch. It was something. Well, I wish you had come and visited me when you were working for George, because I did visit with a lot of interns and uh, even took some of the films. I wish we had I, connected I, then. I was terrified of George, man. The notion I was not going to open well, that door. Yeah. <laughs> the notion, what are you talking about? Well, and you know, downstairs in network, the guy who ran the desk was a guy named Tony Capra, who was related to Frank Capra. Oh, Tony Capra, I didn't hear you yeah. didn't last name. Oh, wow. Tony Capra, yeah. So uh, Lou Katz is our great radio producer and our great uh, radio legend, and uh, he airs us on Hound Radio. And Lou, uh, update us on where you can pick this thing up. And uh, what's going on on the Hound? Well, Hound Radio is available on our free app on Android and Apple. And, of course, you can also listen to us through our website, houndradio.com. And we're busy promoting a very special month this month on Hound Radio. And worldwide, it's Pride Month. Hound Radio is your official inclusion station. And we're wagging our rainbow flag as we honor Pride Month. individual identifies themselves is essential and one of the most meaningful objectives of pride month is to ensure all people no matter how they choose to identify themselves feel accepted and embraced by their communities i'm rolling with the lgbt i'm rolling with the lgbt looking like we belong on tv i'm rolling with the lgbt we support the lgbt community and hope you will too we're proud to be Hound Radio. It's time for Flashbacks and Favorites. Okay, we wrap this show up with something called Flashbacks and Favorites. And since both of you, Oliver and Ben, grew up in D.C., I'm going to ask you today what you miss about Washington. I just came, came back from there, and um, 
it's difficult to go from such a beautifully green place where there's just so much green and so many trees. It feels like a war between uh, construction and trees and uh, uh, everywhere that you go in DC. And then coming back to Los Angeles where we've been in a drought for most of my daughter's life, right? She's now 14 years old. Uh, so it's the green, uh, it's the, it's the, it's, and it's that thing that makes you um, run away from it every August, right, Archa, that, that humidity, just that, yeah. that heaviness of the, the heaviness of the air. Uh, I should disclose, I am not in Washington as we yes, do yeah. this, I'm in the mountains of North Carolina. <laughs> but I, I, but I, I have to say a lot of the things that I love most about D.C., you know, were those movie theaters that I got to go to as a kid with my dad. Uh, all those places are CVSs now. And um, I hate to update you on this, but uh, the Uptown Theater uh, closed yeah. and uh, it does not look like it will reopen. No. And the Maza Theater, Ma the Maza Mall is a zombie mall now. But uh, let's get off of those bad notes. Ben, what, what, what was your favorite thing about DC? What do you miss? Well, all right. Well, obviously, I miss my father. I miss seeing my friends. Mm -hmm. Many still live there. Uh, uh, you know, I miss I miss the uh, reading the Post every day. I mean, I read it online, but yeah. I I miss that that uh, newspaper, which still uh, in a changing year. Yeah. great work. And I miss um, Armand's and Yenching Palace. <laughs> I would go back to D.C. I would for a weekend. There were two meals that just had to happen. I had to get. <laughs> I had to get the garlic chicken at Palace uh, there, Connecticut and Porter, and I had to get uh, uh, and I had to go to Armand's for a couple of slices at some point. And I even remember thinking, "Boy, this is really bready," but it didn't matter. <laughs> was, it was history, and I had to go. Can I tell one fifty-second story about the? Sure, uptown? certainly. So you mentioned earlier in the story, I thought you were going to tell that I. So my dad was promoting JFK the film right uh, helping the, and, and and mostly you know work with you know convince reporters to stop being so negative about it was a big part of it first until they had seen it right there was a big push against the movie um right. oddly enough some of it from the kennedy family who my dad was close to all his life bobby kennedy's press secretary long long time friend of uh, teddy kennedy and ethel but one of the most uh, critical journalists about the movie prior to seeing it was robert novak long time syndicated mm -hmm. column nicknamed the prince of darkness yes I, i'm sure he had friends but he was universally loathed um, and was uh you know sort of nasty and acerbic and and uh dad had known him for years they'd covered dad when was when he ran the mcgovern campaign of course novak there they'd known each other forever and uh so he'd written some terrible pieces about the what the movie was going to be and this and that and and hadn't seen it it was all speculative and uh so then my uh there's a big uh, opening. The, the premiere of JFK was at the Uptown. It made sense to yeah. premiere in Washington, and uh, you had to get an invitation to this big premiere. And of course, they don't send one to Robert Novak, called Bob Novak. And so Novak comes anyway, and he says to the man or woman outside, "I'm Robert Novak. Let me in." And they're like, "You're not on the list." He says, "Get Frank Bankwood out." So the dad comes out, and Novak says, "You know, Frank, I got to get it. I'm not in there. You got to let me in." And he goes, "Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that." Bob. Um, and, uh, uh, and then my dad, of course, says, you know, listen, it's uh, Tuesday here for this premiere. The, the film opens uh, Friday and I'm sorry, uh, there's an 1130 a.m. screening. I'm sure you can buy a ticket for that. And, I'd be interested to see what you think. and uh, Novak says to my father, 
Frank, I didn't think you were this stupid. To which my dad responded, wrong again, Bob. Uh, <laughs> and wrong again, Bob became sort of a mantra for this uh, uh, political show I do called The Young Turks Are Dead, Don't So Much Do Anymore. Uh, right. We say it all the time, anybody some got something wrong. And my first dog, the other dog, I have two dogs. Uh, one of them uh, is named Bob in honor of wrong again, Bob, from my father talking to a girl named Bob. So, uh, uh, but I, uh, so the, but the Uptown, which one of the best theater experiences uh, of my life was seeing uh, Jurassic Park, which I know Oliver right. mentioned. Yeah. At the Uptown opening night, the midnight show, it was just exhilarating, just an exhilarating theatrical experience. Even worse, uh, AMC left the Uptown and they took all the digital equipment with them. So it's going to be even harder to open it. You know, while we're telling stories, Mark Shields is a dear friend of mine and was yeah. a dear friend of your father's and told me a story about your father's funeral, which took place at the at the Quaker Friends Meeting Hall. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. And he quoted a line from the rabbi at the service. Can you confirm that line to me? What's the line you're referring to, Arch? According to Mark Shields, the rabbi got up and said, I know some of you are surprised that Frank Mankiewicz's funeral would be in the Friends Meeting Hall. But I want you to know, the rabbi said, that some of my best Jews are friends. <laughs> that's, that's, is that, is that there, true? There would be no funeral where that was a more appropriate sentiment. I don't, I don't recall much about that day. Um, it was hard. Right. This which I gave was, I think, ended up being my, my uh, eulogy was good. My brother's was good. My best friend, Dan's, was great. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad played a big part in raising him. But I saw Chris Matthews about a year later at an event in D.C. And uh, uh, Chris said to me, it was the, he goes, look, I gotta tell you, I'm not just saying this. He goes, funniest funeral I've ever been to. <laughs> and, uh, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and funniest funeral uh, they'll ever be. Uh, it was great. So there were a ton of what I remember is that there were a ton of laughs and I, I decided to try to be, you know, that that's what my dad would want. And so uh, I, I, if the, I don't remember the rabbi saying that, but it's a great line. And now I'm going. So let's you know what? Yes, definitely. <laughs> the rabbi said that. Well, afraid, you know, yeah. the thing is, uh, your father and uh, the film Mank and half of what Mank is about is language and these right. these lines tossed uh, you know as the yeah. sides and uh i've always thought that your father and your grandfather would have loved that line that it was perfectly uh that it was oh. perfect oh my dad would have that's why i said it was wouldn't be more relevant he he would loved it my some of my best the messages i have from my father that i've saved are where he just start you know he never said hello he would just say so i'm reading <laughs> And his book is called his memoirs. So as I was saying, but the, uh, the call when he would say, you know, asking about whether it was we or us in a sentence yeah. and then explaining why it was even a debate for him. And I think it's we, but it doesn't sound right. But perhaps that means it's what it is. And of course, everything, it was such an honor to have my dad call me with a, with a word question, with uh -huh, a grammar, uh -huh. but everything yeah. I learned, learned from him. So whatever my answer was, I'm like, I'm just repeating something you told me. 20 years ago. So uh, right. he loved language. He loved language and words. Yes. As okay. A final word to close this up, Oliver, a final word, one or two words. Well, my, my first inclination is to say Rosebud. Uh, <laughs> but my, uh, my uh, second is, um, you know, I have to say, uh, Arch, like, 
when I ran into you at the uh, uh, red carpet covering the Oscars when I was at standing in front of the theater, and uh, and then you just you know I didn't know you were a figure from my from uh, my past and and uh, from that moment and from every moment on you have been so warm and generous uh, and insightful to me and uh, and just as a as a critic and as a um, uh, and as a person and also as a guy who obviously misses his dad a lot uh you know uh that has meant so much to me and i've been really i've been really appreciative of that yeah the three of uh, us have that in that's common. Not, yeah that's not a common thing necessarily in your business uh so um so i recognize that and i appreciate that so i just wanted to say that to you arch thank you and ben uh a final word from you first of all thanks for inviting me on here and and let oh. me talk a little bit about my dad and uh and and you know to be on with the uh, with Davy Marlin Jones's kid and Arch Campbell, I mean, it really is. It's it's funny. I, uh, you know, I, I, I got I've gotten I got a phone call from Jerry Lewis after doing an interview with how much yeah. he enjoyed, and I thought I thought then well, I've made it. no. By the way, let me just I I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> Jerry calls me, leaves a message, and he says, Ben, call me back. Great, uh, and he leaves me his number in Vegas. Uh -huh. and this is yeah. where he died. And I call him back. And I'm like, hey, uh, Jerry, it's Ben Mankiewicz. Uh, I'm just returning your call. Great to hear from you. He goes, oh, great to hear from you, too. Thanks for the call, Ben. That was, that was, <laughs> that was his message. <laughs> We're done. Uh, so, uh, but this is, uh, like I said at the beginning, this is, uh, uh, this is making it. So, uh, and, and the word is retronym, by the way. That's the word my father invented. Oh. A word that technology has it's in the dictionary now and uh tech that uh, and he full credit goes to him uh, uh, uh it means uh, acoustic guitar natural grass a word technology has required us to rename something because progress as uh, uh and there are you know landline there are a ton of them. so uh uh anyway but uh, it means a lot to have uh, for you guys to have included me in this so thanks to both of you and uh, i'd love to ben. meet both of you oliver i know you're already here so maybe we can have some coffee it'd be great and I if you're ever in dc please let me know either one of you next time you're in dc oliver and uh ben if you're in dc with the extra five minutes i'd lied love to catch up on the visits we didn't get when you were at channel four terrific i would love that arch i'll be in uh, i'll be in the summer so i will uh, definitely i'll reach out so thanks okay this podcast will be back in a couple of weeks in the meantime ben and oliver thanks for the call <laughs> thank you sir <laughs> thank you this is the cats podcasting system where it's not just a podcast but a pod cats